Recode Radio presents Too Embarrassed to Ask, hosted by me, Kara Swisher, and Lauren Good of The Verge, powered by digital media. Today's sponsor is Casper. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Lauren Good, Senior Editor of Technology at The Verge, and this is Too Embarrassed to Ask, a podcast that's all about making technology easier to understand and use. If you have questions that you've been dying to ask, but you've been too embarrassed to, we'll give you the answers, plus our views on all the latest gadgets. Submit your questions in advance by tweeting them to at Recode with the hashtag AskRecode. That's all one word, hashtag AskRecode. Also, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. And while you're there, leave us a review. Unfortunately, we're missing Kara Swisher today. She is traveling in New York, so she was unable to make the podcast. But I'm very excited to introduce our co-host for the week, Kurt Wagner from Recode. Kurt, you're the perfect guest for this because you cover social media for Recode, and our topics today are very social media-centric. That is right. Thank you for having me. Today on uh, Too Embarrassed to Ask, we're going to talk about Snapchat, the favorite app of millions of young people, the source of a lot of the confusion for their parents or, you know, the normal, normal people, people out like there. Me. Exactly. <laughs> and later on in the show, we'll talk even more about social media as well as diversity in the tech sector with our special guest, Pinterest engineer Tracy Chow. And finally, we'll close out the show with everyone's favorite game, Too Embarrassed to Answer. So, Kurt, you're a millennial, right? I mean, yes. technically, I'm a millennial. I like to say that I'm on the yeah. cusp. You try um, to get out of the group for some reason, but you are. I know. Well, I got. I think I got kicked out of your millennial group on Slack <laughs> that one time where someone told me I didn't know what on Fleet. Oh, Eric Johnson is laughing at me. I left. I did leave the Slack group because yeah. what did I not? I didn't understand. I don't know, some but phrase. you're missing out on some great gifts. And then I know I need to get tweets. back in there. I, yeah. bet, I bet it's totally on Fleet, right? It's on Fleet. Is on Fleet over? No. It's a, it's, well, uh, I don't use it, but I, I see other people use it. I need it. to know all no, these things. No, Bay's still there. Fleek is still there. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're like, you're good. I was just going to say you're my Snapchat bay, but that would sound not right. <laughs> um, but you understand, I mean, you use Snapchat and you yes. use it well. So tell people why they should care about Snapchat. And yeah. we're going to talk more about how it works. Well, if you're a parent, you should care about Snapchat because it's probably what your children are using. If you're a millennial like us, it's probably what your friends are using. If you're a grandparent, I don't know if maybe you need Snapchat, but we'll <laughs> we'll assume most people should know about Snapchat because it's it's really you know the company is on the rise, right? I mean, it's supposed to be, or a lot of people believe it has the potential to be the next Twitter or Facebook or or Pinterest or whatever these big kind of social companies that have come and and really cemented themselves in our you know lives. I think Snapchat has the potential to be that next big one, and so. In terms of just why you should care, I think that's enough of a reason right there. I mean, in fact, at Recode's Code Media Conference last week, it seemed like everyone was talking about it. Uh, Cosmopolitan editor-in-chief Joanna Coles had something to say about it. Sports super agent Casey Wasserman mentioned it. Um, here are a couple clips so you can hear for yourself. Well, you know, Russell Westbrook taking over the brand Jordan Snapchat, his reach is meaningful, and he can actually turn to a brand and guarantee that audience, guarantee impressions, guarantee number of post, guaranteed quality of content, guaranteed reach. And that's, Frank, that's what a television network does today. What's fun about Snapchat in particular is that it's such a fun medium. I mean, it's supposed to be fun. So you have a look at it and it's lively and it fits in with what I think people are using Snapchat for. You know, these are people that are really, they're utilizing the platform differently than say a lot of, you know, the, for lack of a better word, than kids that are using it. Mm -hmm. What's the appeal of it? 
I mean, like, remember hearing Joanna Cole say last week that she liked it because it was finite and that Twitter and Facebook felt like an avalanche to her. Mm. But, you know, someone who's never used Snapchat before hears finite. What does that mean? How does it actually work and why is that appealing? Well, the initial appeal of Snapchat was that all of the content that you shared disappeared, right? Mm -hmm. So I could send you a photo. I could send you basically a text. And after you read it, it would be gone. And so it just kind of created this feeling of... It was not only raw, but it was it lowered the bar, right? Like when you post on Instagram, you want to make sure you have the great photo with the great filter, the right angle, because this is going to live on the internet forever. I think with Snapchat, there was this feeling that, oh, wow, this is great. I can finally send you know these little moments throughout the day that aren't really that special, but they're still fun to share, and I don't have to worry about you know cultivating my online persona to do that. So I think that's really how it started and what they're talking about when they say – you know, that it, that it doesn't have that same kind of feeling as a Facebook or Twitter. And initially, that was associated with maybe some nefarious activity too, sure. right? People thought, oh, well, this means that people are going to be yeah, sexting, it's going to be a sexting and things app. like that. And, and I think it was, you, you know, mm-hmm. it's plus it was used by teens and millennials and young people who, of course, they, they used it in that way. Um, but now there are things like Discover. Right. It is It is graduated from being kind of a joke of like, oh, this is the sexting app that everyone's using to saying, okay, kids are still here. Adults are still here. Let's go ahead and give them some real high quality content. So you mentioned Discover. That's a section of the app where different publishers like ESPN or BuzzFeed or Vice, they actually create content the same way they might create for their website, but they create it specifically for Snapchat and they do it every single day. Mm-hmm. And they Vox have a has it too. Vox, Vox has a great yep, channel. Vox has a channel as Our well. Our parent company, BTW. Yes. And so the idea is that, okay, well, all these people are already coming to Snapchat to send photos to each other, to send messages. Maybe they'd want to hang out here and also consume content that they might otherwise consume in other places on the internet. And uh, people seem to love it. I mean, you mentioned that, that everyone at Code uh, Media was talking about it. I talked to a bunch of different folks who are either partners with Snapchat or want to be partners with Snapchat. And there's this feeling of like, that is the place to be right now with your content. So all these publishers, they, they want to have channels on Snapchat. I have to say I was laid up a couple weeks ago with knee surgery, which is why I missed one of these episodes. And um, while I was just sort of browsing through the news, I found myself on Snapchat more. And I was messaging with friends. Yep. I was using the chat function because there is a text chatting function, yep. not just an image function. And watching their stories, which are these 24-hour ongoing sort of snaps of people's lives that you can see. But I was browsing through Discover and I thought this is a really clever way to distribute the news. And I think it kind of got back to that idea of it's finite. I didn't find myself sort of sucked down a rabbit hole of now I'm clicking on this and now I'm clicking on this. Like I would watch some Discover content and I would be done with it. Yeah. And I think the key is creating it specifically for Snapchat. So, so much of what you probably see, and and I know you're a Twitter user, I'm a Twitter Mm -hmm. user. You scroll through Twitter, you click on a link if you're doing that on your phone, all of a sudden it's, you know, redirecting you to Safari and it's loading the page and it looks like it's a website, but it's condensed to a phone. It just doesn't look great, right? On the Snapchat thing, I mean, these companies are spending time and resources to make this specific to Snapchat. So it's a full screen video on your phone. You can swipe left to get rid of it, swipe right to expand it. Like it is meant for consuming on mobile. And I don't it's think- vertical. A, the video is vertical. The, vertical, the video is vertical mm-hmm. as well. I mean, it's just like- these kinds of channels are meant for your phone and I think it makes a big difference and they're spending a lot of time and resources to to build stuff specifically for this audience. And so how is Snapchat making money right now? Yeah, a few different ways. The, the first is that they're selling ads alongside all this content we were just talking about. So, 
you'll be in the ESPN channel. You'll scroll through. It'll say this was sponsored by uh, whoever, Budweiser, and then Snapchat and Peyton ESPN. Peyton Manning pops up. Peyton Manning, he's drinking yeah, Budweiser. Yeah, he's got a Papa like John's pizza in his mm-hmm. hand. Yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, they'll split that money. So um, we don't know, you know, the exact split, but it's something like 70-30 or whatever. Are they selling filters now too? Did I see that? So yeah, so there's a few other ways. This, the, the two biggest ways are that, and you mentioned what are called live stories. So if, for example, the Super Bowl, they'll collect all of this user-generated content around the Super Bowl, they'll throw it together in one big montage, and then they'll throw ads in that as well. And so those are the two biggest ways that they're making money. They're also doing kind of fun, smaller things where they'll try to sell, say, like a filter with your, although I believe they got rid of their filter store, by the way, but they were trying this for a while where, you know, you'd take a selfie and it would kind of transform your face to make you look like a ghost or something. Right. And you could actually pay for that little technology. Like that. that was the popular one. Okay. Um, and, but that was like, you know, 99 cents, right? So I can't imagine that that was really the big uh, revenue driver for them. I think they were testing with a few things. I think the big stuff was, is, you know, advertising that they're getting from huge brands um, that would otherwise advertise on a Facebook or even a television. So we have some reader questions that we're going to get to, but before we get to that, just a very basic level is some, if someone wanted to get started on Snapchat, they've never used it before. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do. The interface can be a little bit confusing. Which way do I swipe? Where do I press down to get one of those filter faces? Right. What is your, like your elevator pitch for how you use Snapchat? It is tough. It is tough to use for, for new folks. And I think that up until now that hasn't been a huge problem because it's been a lot of teens who are, who are familiar with using a phone and they just tinker around with it and they figure it out. Um, Twitter runs into this problem. It's not a super easy product to use at first, and they're kind of paying for that right now. I, I'm Part of me thinks that this could be a, an issue for Snapchat at some point down the road. But my real quick and dirty tip would just be when you open the app, it's going to immediately launch you into the camera. Um, so you're going to be able to take a photo basically from the first page. I think the easiest way to do it is is to just find someone you're comfortable you know, exchanging a few test messages with take a few photos, take a few videos, send them back and forth, kind of get a feel for that. Um, the thing, the great thing about Snapchat though is like, there is that, there's not a lot of pressure, right? So it's like, all right, I accidentally took a photo of my foot and I sent it to Lauren. Like, you know, you might make fun of me a little bit, but it's not like that's on the internet forever. I'm not going to lay in bed at night looking at the ceiling, like panic that I've ruined my digital reputation. But so people can, can screen grab them. You can screen grab. So be careful about sending anything too inappropriate, right. but um, it's, it's a little bit harder than to screen grab than it would be yeah. if I was just, you know, to send a text or something. My advice is just when I first started using it was just to keep tapping. Yeah. If you tap, I would, yeah. I would like tap to take a picture and then Swipe I would just keep times. tapping on the text T and then that would change the size of it. And then you can just tap on a little bit more. You can change the placement of the text. Yeah. And if you tap on the color bar, it'll change colors. And it's kind of like a, you're a baby and you're just like learning, <laughs> you know what I mean? This is like, what we've been reduced yeah, to. Yeah. Where it, to, to get to know how to use Snapchat, you just have to to res, you know revert back to your two-year-old self where you're like learning how to put the blocks into the different shapes and all that stuff. That's what Snapchat's like, but for adults. It's great. I can't believe more people don't use it. <laughs> well, maybe now more people will and they can follow you. What's, your, what's your Snapchat name? Uh, my Snapchat name is KurtWag8. Okay. But you know, I don't know. I, I don't guess I, maybe I have followers. To be honest, I, it's not as common. It's not like Twitter in the sense that like, I expect to have a bunch of people following me. I use it very much more for a personal, you know, one-on-one. Like with you don't friends. wear a T-shirt that says Kurt Wag Eight. No, I do not uh, broadcast get, like, my Snapchat handle. handle. I yeah. just say it on podcasts. Mine instead, is Lauren so. ATD, which is a throwback. Yeah, that is to a throwback. all things D. 
Because one thing about Snapchat that people don't realize is that once you pick your name, you can't change it after the fact without deleting your entire account and starting over again and going, you know, starting a new score. There's a score involved. Like, we'll talk about that. But so I'm Lauren ATD, but, you know, The Verge actually does some really clever stuff on Snapchat. So I recommend that people. Yeah, there are certain publications that really do it well. They do this thing. It's really fun. My coworkers will do this thing where when they are shooting video, if they want it to be horizontal, they'll actually say in the snap, Okay, turn your phone sideways now, and then so oh, they're, really? so they're so not give them shooting a fair warning, all of huh? that. Yeah, all that That's vertical thoughtful. video. That's thoughtful. Yeah, warning. but no, we we snap from all over the place. So check it out. But we're going to take a quick break, and Kara is going to weigh in in this podcast with a message from one of our sponsors, Walker Corporate Law. Are you an entrepreneur or startup looking for legal help with your financing, acquisition, or incorporation? If so, then you should consider checking out Walker Corporate Law. Walker Corporate Law is a different kind of law firm. Unlike traditional law firms, they only have lawyers with 10 to 25 years of experience, which means you're getting personal attention from a senior lawyer, not a junior lawyer getting on the job training. They also encourage fixed fees because they believe that when lawyers bill by the hour, it rewards inefficiency. So check them out at walkercorporatelaw.com. Or you can call the founder, Scott, at 415-979-9999. That's walkercorporatelaw.com or 415-979-9999. And now it is time to find out what our readers and listeners were not too embarrassed to ask us about Snapchat. Remember that if you have any questions about tech topics, you can tweet them at us with the hashtag AskRecode. And our first question is from Eric Johnson, <laughs> who is our excellent podcast producer How at Recode. That, that seems unfair because yeah. he has access to us and we have access to each other every day and we can talk about this stuff endlessly. But let's see what Eric's question is here. Hi, Lauren. Good. I have a couple questions. What is Snapchat? Why is Snapchat? Where is Snapchat? Hashtag bad millennial. Oh, Eric. Kurt, are you around after the podcast? Give Eric a quick question. You know question. what's sad? He sits like right next to me. <laughs> like I could have answered these questions for him, you know, a year and a half ago. So I feel bad. Maybe I'm not approachable enough at work. I need to start, you know, making myself more available to my colleagues. I mean, but I could have been there. Or maybe Eric, you can just do you, do you really not know how to use Snapchat? I'm quite. I'm, he's he's getting red. We assume yeah, this means that he, right. it's legitimate. These are legitimate questions. But hopefully, we just answered a lot of. I those like questions. the why is Snapchat. It's very existential. It's yeah. Like, why Snapchat? Yeah. Okay, let's move on to a question from Bob Piercing. That's at Bob underscore Piercing. How old is too old to figure out Snapchat? Increasingly, it feels like a real space, but I'm not there. And then he included an emoji, a sad emoji. Kurt, I don't know. How old is too old to figure out Snapchat? Um. I'm, 25. I, yeah, we're One of our video in the studio here. Saying we're 25. saying 25. I think you can be, I mean, if you, so it's the question, how old do you have to be to use it? Or like, if you can't figure it out at this age, then you're kind of embarrassed. <laughs> but isn't that like everything in life? I mean, you can't just give up if you just, because no, you're like, never, oh, my, never, ever give my up. brain is not grasping this. You right. Just, you can keep I, trying. Maybe. So I think you'll find that the majority of folks using Snapchat, I would say, and this is, I'm, I'm guessing here because I don't know the exact numbers, but I would guess it's. Uh, you know, around 25 and below is probably mm-hmm. yeah, the bulk of it's users. Be- it's between the 13 to 20, that sweet spot, 13 sure. to 24 for that being said, a lot of I would not be discouraged if you're out there and you're above 25 and you're having trouble getting it. I, don't be discouraged. You can figure it out uh, until you get to be probably, you know, to the point where you're like, what's this iPhone thing? I think that, that Snapchat could be of interest to you. I know a lot of uh, folks whose parents enjoy, you know, sending snaps back and forth with their kids. So I think it's, it's for all ages, but 
Well, Bob, I mean, I think the answer for Bob then is that you're never too old to figure out Snapchat. You're never too old. But you might not it care. Does take some pr- yeah, you might not want to invest the time no. in it. And sometimes you mentioned parents. I mean, I imagine for some parents too, if they're exchanging messages with their kids, they actually want something that has like a certain level of permanence. They can save it on their phone and then yeah. show it to other relatives. I think a lot of the feeling from parents is that they just want to feel like they can connect and understand what their children are using. Right. Yeah. So, and this comes from someone who has no children and has no parenting experience. So you should all take my <laughs> advice to heart. But you know, I think that having talked with folks who do have kids and want to be on Snapchat, they just like, they want to know, right? Like they want to know, Oh, my, my son or daughter spending all this time over here. What's all that about? I mean, Kara talks about that. Her kids yes. are all over Snapchat. Yeah. And I feel like that's what motivated her to kind of get on it. She's on Snapchat. Mm-hmm. She, I, I don't know if she uses it though. I don't know, but she knows how. She claims she kind of knows how. Actually, to use I think it. I've sent her snaps, and she will then send me an angry text, and she will say, "Stop snapping <laughs> or chatting or whatever yeah. it is." You know who's um, actually good at it is Walt. Oh, but yeah? that doesn't surprise me because Walt is well, there. You go, Bob. Well, Walt is uh, maybe just slightly older than us, and he has figured out yes. Snapchat. In fact, one of the first times I used it, I was trying to sort of navigate the interface, and Walt picked up my phone and said, "Oh, you do this," and then he swiped a few times, and I said, "I mean, he's very good at that. Oh, this yeah. is what he does." I was going to say though, this. Um, I mean, he's been doing. He's been understanding and learning how to understand technology for a long time. Yeah, so. it was pretty great though. Yeah. All right, do you want to read the next question? I would love to read the next question. It's from at Sam Sabri uh, on Twitter. He says, why is my score so low? Or wait, I might be sad finding out the answer to that. So <laughs> for those people who don't know, each account has, you, you get a score associated with your Snapchat account. Um, it's not super obvious. It's kind of hidden up uh, at the top near your profile, but... We, you know, to be honest, like I know the score is determined somewhat by the number of snaps you've sent and the number you've received. So essentially how active you are in Snapchat. I don't fully know how the score is calculated. Yeah, like whether it's arbitrary or whether it actually is you get you rack up a certain number of points with yeah, every message. Yeah, like one, one point for sending mm-hmm. a message, one to receive, like for I've read video, that. You get more for video yeah, or I, I don't actually know either. That's I was a great trying question. To, uh, I was trying to look online a little bit before mm-hmm. we sat down. The good reporter. Good reporter, mm-hmm. come prepared with answers, which I clearly don't have. But I think what I walked away from was that we're not the only ones who don't understand what a Snapchat score is. I think it started as something just like fun, keep people motivated to send more snaps. And now it's not really necessary, but people are still like, what, what is this? So it's like a Fitbit score. It's like get 10,000 steps and you've, Done it's your like, duty for the day, it's like but clout. it's how many? Remember your clout score, oh, right? Oh, yeah. And it motivated you. Like, oh, I'm going to tweet 10 times today. Did it motivate gonna... you? Because well, I was super irritated I'm by the, your clout score is 79. Metaphorically here, but it could yeah. motivate you. But yeah, I, I think that's There was a great about. BuzzFeed story a couple of weeks ago in which someone asked their, I think it was their little sister, his little sister, how to use Snapchat. And she referred to people with a Snapchat score, I think it was below 150 as a NARP, which is oh, not, really? not athletic regular person on Snapchat. It was, it was basically <laughs> like, you're so bad at this. Um, I'm not familiar with NARP, but I think that that sounds like a, something we should bring to the office. I think maybe we need to snap more. Yeah, to just snap get more. Above that. You know what? Here's a, here's a good, Sam could go and do an experiment. Send a few snaps, see how the score changes. Yeah, Sam. We could have done that too, us. but... Sam, why don't you get out there and let us know? Yeah, snap. Mm -hmm. Snap at me. Uh, Sure. Okay. Sam, thank you for sending in your question. Snap at us. We'll snap at you, and maybe we can figure out how to get our scores up. Okay. And we have another question from at Vincent M. Rubino. He has sent in questions before to us, so thank you for sharing. He said, is it weird or annoying to send snaps to your favorite journalists, or should I avoid that and just view? I'm going to assume he's referring to us. 
his favorite journalists. Right. But Who else could he possibly be? I don't know. Time? Maybe Eric Johnson. Yeah. Maybe Kara Swisher. Although I'm the only one not mentioned in this tweet, so. Oh, yeah. Kurt. Bummer. Anyway. So sorry. Well, are, are you receptive to a I mean, I think um, as long as people don't get weird or creepy with their snaps mm-hmm. that they send to us, I would be open to receiving, you know, messages and sure. content from I people. I would say that I'm not open to it. It does feel to me like a much more personal mm-hmm. uh, part of my phone, right? Like an I, intimate message. Yeah, I do, not, I do not message on Snapchat with people I don't know. doesn't mean that I wouldn't be receptive to opening snaps from, from strangers or readers. It doesn't feel as normal as, say, reading a tweet from someone who's read a story. That's true. So I would actually be more inclined to maybe follow this person and then see if their daily stories were interesting. Just watch their stories when I had the chance. But yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe receiving some type of direct message. That's just me, right? I mean, some people really do. They feel that Snapchat is a place to meet new people. That's why live stories and, and. personal stories exist so that you can kind of follow someone's day, for example. So I think um, for me, I use it personally, but for a lot of people, they, they'd probably be cool meeting a stranger or meeting a reader via Snapchat. Yeah. All right. So uh, Vincent, there's your answer from Kurt. You can DM him on Twitter and he won't feel violated, but maybe not <laughs> the personal snaps. Okay. And then we have another question from another recoder. These recode people really need to stop oh cluttering up our too embarrassed to ask, but uh, Jason Del Rey says, I ate some special brownies and drank a 40 and finally got Snapchat. Do I have to do the same every time? <laughs> I don't even know what to tell Jason You didn't Del pronounce Rey. 40 right, by the way. Did you ever see that uh, Conan O'Brien uh, where he was riding along with Ice Cube and Kevin Hart? It's pronounced no. 40. Oh, jeez. No. It's a it's a foudy. You drink a, a foudy. No, and I just can't oh, on, I can't achieve that with the same authenticity. If Jason was here, he would that, he would say foudy probably. Um, no, but I, I don't even know what to say. You do have to do that. Jason, every <laughs> I'm time I'm speechless. Here, I'll handle this. Jason, every time you open Snapchat, eat your brownies, drink your foudy, and then send us photos in the Slack channel of yeah. what happens next because yeah. we all want to see what happens. Jason, after that. Uh, maybe you should post those to our company-wide Slack channel. Actually, no, don't do that. No. Well, actually, do it. It's not, us. it's not us. It's Jason. Well, those were all fantastic questions, maybe with the exception of Jason's. I'm still trying to figure that one out. But if you have any more questions about Snapchat or other topics, feel free to send them to us at, at Recode on Twitter with the hashtag AskRecode. We're going to bring in our special guest in just a moment. But first, earlier in the show, we played some audio from our Code Media 2016 conference. But that was just a small sample of what people were talking about there. To hear the full interviews direct from the stage, you should check out one of our other podcasts, Recode Replay. You can find that at recode.net slash replay or on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay. Kurt, what was your favorite interview? at Code Media? You know, I enjoyed the very first one, Joanna Coles. She and Kara were quite the duo up on stage. I don't think I've ever seen anyone stump Kara quite like that before. There was a lot of talk about VR sex. Yeah, I've never been scarred so quickly into a (laughs) Recode conference event. Yeah. Uh, It was pretty fantastic. I know. I felt like we should have started a bingo game of keywords and then just see if we could have filled a bingo card. (laughs) Or a drinking game. Yeah. Could have also (laughs) been. From that session. It was great, though. But you can check out all of that and more from Code Media at recode.net. And now we'd like to thank our sponsor, Friendly Backup for iPhone, or FBI. We keep a lot of important sensitive data on our phones, and we want to keep that data safe. Luckily, there's Friendly Backup for iPhone. 
Just install the simple Opportunity Door app and all of your information will be transmitted to a secure facility in Washington, D.C. And best of all, once that door is open, your phone will also be compatible with friendly backup providers around the world, from China to Russia to Nigeria. That's friendly backup for iPhone, or FBI for short. Seriously, you don't have a choice. Last week on the show, we talked to Kevin Gibbon. He's the CEO of SHIP, a company that is trying to ease the hassle of shipping by literally coming to your house and packing up all of the stuff you don't feel like taking to UPS and FedEx. It was a super interesting conversation. We even asked him the weirdest thing his company has ever been asked to ship. And if you missed that episode, you can find it at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. This week, we're delighted to welcome a special guest to the show. Tracy Chow is a star software engineer at Pinterest who has become an advocate for getting more women in the tech industry and then supporting those women when they're in the tech industry. Prior to Pinterest, Tracy worked at Cora as a software engineer, interned at a little place you might have heard of called Facebook, and serves as a consultant with the United States Digital Service. Tracy, welcome. Thanks for for being here. It's great to have you. Um, let's talk about Pinterest first, because that is your current place of employment. For those who don't know, uh, what is your area of focus at Pinterest? Very good question. Right now, I'm kind of all over the place. Uh, I am working on a lot of diversity and inclusion projects right now, but most recently within engineering, I was on the home feed and recommendations team. Before that, I was on ads. Before that, I was on web. So I've really been all over the place and helping Pinterest to grow. Does that mean you're actually building out the products that people are seeing when they go to Pinterest or you're working on um, maybe more of the back end stuff or even the data side of things? I've been all over. So I have worked on infrastructure. Um, When I first started, I was working on helping to scale to support a growing user base. I've worked on some of the front end components and building things to the specs that designers are giving us um, from Photoshop, uh, full stack work. I've done mostly everything. You wear a lot of hats, it seems. So one of the things that we hear a lot is that Pinterest is a social network for women. And uh, that's sort of anecdotal. It's been kind of branded that way. But also there is some data around it. Pew Center says that 44% of women who use the Internet in America use Pinterest and only 16% of men do. Uh, Do you personally see it as a social network for women? No, uh, actually not at all. Uh, We try to think of it more as a tool and something that you can use in your life to find ideas and find inspiration and also to act on those. So it's actually more of a utility than a social network, although there are social components to the utility where you can see what other people are saving and what they're discovering um, and interact with them on, on the service. With regards to it being for women, uh, that's a really interesting question. Uh, there's a few different takes I have on that. One is that uh, anything that is slightly more skewed towards women gets portrayed as very, very female, even though if the opposite were the case, uh, if you look at sites like Wikipedia, which are primarily male editors, they don't get viewed as so male that women shouldn't use them. Uh, and this is the case for Reddit as well, where it is very male in usage and it hasn't been branded as heavily male as Pinterest has been branded female. So I think there are just some gender like, dichotomies at play there. Why do you think that is? I think male is a default. And so male is accepted, uh, even in our language. Um, things like addressing a group of people as guys is very normal because that's the default you would never address a mixed gender group or a group of all men as, hey, ladies. But it's very normal <laughs> to address all these women as, hey, guys. Uh, so men are the default. Male is the default. And so anything that's not male gets construed as so extreme and so unusual. What, what about the product do you think attracts women more than men? Because even though you don't see it necessarily as being that way, um, there clearly are. there are more women on it than men. Mm-hmm. So what about the product is so appealing to women, not so much for men? 
I think a lot of that comes from the early community that was on Pinterest and that seeded the growth. And so what happened was we had some people join early on, they would bring on their friends and then adjacent communities would join as well. And we started with a lot of women in the United States and it grew from there. So we just had a very strong foothold in that community. But if you look at our numbers in other countries, it's not so gender skewed. So it really depends on what that seed demographic is. And do you guys, have you guys made kind of a specific effort to get more men on the platform? Are you hoping that happens organically? You know, what what do you kind of do to try and balance that maybe here in the U.S.? We've thought about how we can be better for everyone. So how do we think about getting more topics onto the service, not necessarily just for men, but expanding the topics that people are looking at um, and different interests that people might be able to explore on Pinterest. And so it's a broader expansion effort, um, but there are a lot of topics that men are interested in that may not be that well represented right now. So we are thinking in a kind of holistic way about how we make it easier for people to get onboarded when there may not be as many people who look like them and have similar interests on the site already. How do we connect them to the right content, help them to discover things that are relevant to them and so it's a generalized discovery problem as opposed to specifically trying to get more yeah. men. I was going to say, I mean, are, are we talking the this, this stereotypical, like, so men are going to be into, like, cars and, uh, I don't know, outdoors, like, hunting and gathering or something? <laughs> like, what, like what, are, what are we talking about here when you say kind of bring more content that maybe appeals to a certain Yeah, there are gender? some things which are um, potentially gender neutral, so things like parenting. It doesn't have to be just the mom playing with the kids. It can be the dad as well. What sorts of activities do you might want to do with your kids? Um, things like gardening or um, improve, home improvements. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of things that both men and women are participating in. Uh, travel is another good one that is not gendered in particular. So you said earlier that you don't see this site as a social network. It's a utility. But do you f- find anything interesting? Do you have any data around how men and women might be using the site as a utility differently? Maybe when it comes to things like shopping or like actual commerce, people making purchases. Yeah, I haven't like looked that. at that data specifically. I think generally, if you look at uh, the online population and people who are shoppers, there are a lot more women who tend to shop. And so if we match those overall demographics, probably more women are shopping. Right. But I haven't looked at those uh, specific numbers cut that way. Interesting. What, yeah. The, the social network element I find kind of fascinating. That's, that's what I focus on and write about often. But, you know, I think there's really one social network, right? There's Facebook and then there's everyone else. And so a lot of people don't want to have that label because they don't want to constantly be compared to Facebook. So how much of, you know, how you guys define and describe yourself is about not wanting to be, you know, a Facebook competitor versus simply, I guess, being something totally different because really community, like a lot of companies, you do want people interacting and liking each other's pins and all that. So you want a social element. So how much of like shedding social network is... Trying to get away from Facebook. I think fundamentally, we do think of ourselves as something very different than Facebook. We want to connect people to ideas and content as opposed to necessarily to other people. Uh, So the different dynamics you can have on Pinterest, you can follow people, but you can also just follow specific boards, which are a little bit more curated down to the specific interests and topic areas. So we're more interested in that part. Um, And for the individual use case, people will be using Pinterest to plan events or activities in their lives or collect ideas or inspiration. That's more of a use case for the self and not necessarily trying to show off to other people what you're trying to do. Anecdotally, I I find Pinterest like that. I tend to use it in a very aspirational way. Mm First of all, I try not to put any tech products in it because I'd like to good. separate something yeah. in my life free of tech. <laughs> and then I'll put a vacation spot or a hair product that I want to try. And when I, and so I feel like it's oddly hopeful. You're like, oh, I'm going to pin this. Yeah. Maybe someday I will get that. But when you go to Facebook, sometimes scrolling through your feed, you can have this feeling of like, 
It's like the opposite of aspirational. Yeah. It's well, like, I, oh man, I like the idea of forward looking, right? Like mm-hmm. the forward looking thing you were talking about. Okay, so so okay, not Facebook. I wanted to ask you about something else. A couple years ago, you started a database and you called for tech companies to contribute to that database information about their uh, female employees, I believe specific to engineering. Mm-hmm. Female um, engineers. Me, so yeah. to, oh, female engineers. How is that going? Are companies still giving you information around that? And, and what did you find from that? Yeah, so the project is still running and people are still submitting updates periodically. I think the larger point, though, was that it spurred all of the big companies to release their diversity data as well and elevated that conversation uh, into the mainstream. So the specific project that I set up is still ongoing, um, but I think what's more important is that the big companies are releasing annual diversity data reports and we're still having that conversation. And when you, when you first started to get this data from companies, what was something, what was your takeaway? What jumped out at you? The first thing that was surprising to me was that people were willing to give the data at all. I thought that nobody would want to contribute their data um, and they would still try to hide it. But the fact that people were actually very willing to submit their data to me suggested that there was some appetite to do something about the problem of diversity. And it was an open secret. Anybody who'd been around Silicon Valley, walked around engineering teams would know that there weren't a lot of women and there's not a lot of diversity. But nobody really knew what to do. And so I gave people a very concrete first action item, which is count the number of female engineers, count the number of total engineers, and submit that somewhere. And that helps to build a baseline for us to understand where we are as an industry. And so it felt like there was an easy thing to do to be helpful. And so uh, I think what I was able to capitalize on was kind of this like growing sentiment that we needed to do something. Past that, uh, like learnings, I think it's been interesting that uh, that transparency has driven so much conversation because for anybody who had worked in tech before, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a secret. But to have the numbers there made the problem something that we couldn't shy away from and pretend didn't exist anymore. Right. And what companies actually did end up contributing to that database? Oh, there's a, I think there's over 250 companies that have contributed. Okay. Uh, the largest companies that have submitted to my database I think were Wells Fargo, interestingly, which is not huh. really a tech yeah. company, but they have a lot of software engineers and ThoughtWorks, which is also pretty large. And those two actually have a lot of women, uh, much more so than the smaller companies and the ones that are primarily Silicon Valley based. Yeah. So it's probably been about two years since companies first started, you know, officially coming out with their blog posts and saying, here's where we stand or uh, here's where our demographics are. Um, I feel like the first year they did it, it was like, hey, you know, everyone, the, the cliche was like, we're not where we want to be, but we're, we're putting the numbers out to start the conversation. And everyone was kind of like, okay, that's fine. And then year two happened, and it was kind of the same thing. And everyone's like, yeah, okay, like, we're getting, like, how long does this go on before simply putting the numbers out there and saying, we're not where we want to be, we're going to improve is, is no longer an acceptable answer? Or are we already there? I think we're starting to get to that point, uh, but it is funny you point that out because it felt like every company had used the same template for their blog post, <laughs> right. which was, here are exactly. our numbers, we know we're not where we want to be, and here are all the things that we're doing. <laughs> and then in year two, um, as you pointed out, there wasn't much movement in the numbers despite all the things that people had said they were doing. I think we are now at the point where we're recognizing that's not enough to put out the numbers and that we actually have to set goals and commit to change. So Intel, on stage at CES last year, committed to reaching the same representation in their workforce as is in the United States. They also committed $300 million towards that, and they had some announcements today uh, with Code 2040 and bringing in uh, Black and Latino students into their internship programs. They're starting to commit to that. There are goals. They're releasing their um, updates periodically. Same with Pinterest. We announced diversity hiring goals last year um, for the year of 2016. 
we're committing as well to releasing our results. And that sort of commitment and public accountability has really galvanized us internally to be creative in how we're going to solve the problem. Gotcha. So you, you basically, by by putting out there what you want to accomplish, it applies the fire underneath to actually get it done. Yes. You were you coding? I mean, you were coding from a young age, right? Technically, I did a little bit of coding when I was very young um, because my elementary school had some basic programming classes where we would have um, these little turtles that we would uh, instruct to move around the page and they would draw things. Oh, really? oh like, like Carol the Robot. Yeah, pretty the much turtles. like that. Okay. They were turtles um, in PC logo. But I didn't really code much um, until college and actually halfway through college. So I took some introductory courses, um, one intro class in high school and then a couple in college. And actually after taking the first few introductory computer science courses in college, I decided to not major in computer science. Uh, so I was subject to all the same sorts of um, intimidation and like self-doubt hmm. that drive a lot of other women out of the field. Uh, so I decided not to major in computer science. And Why was that? I mean, what were you experiencing in those first couple of classes? Part of it was a gender imbalance. There weren't a lot of other women. Uh, professors would know all the women in their classes by like, oh, this was the Asian girl and this was the white girl. They, they would know because <laughs> wow. there were so few. Yeah. Um, and my classmates, mostly male, all seemed to be so far ahead. And some of it was just I wasn't calibrated. Um, they would talk about how easy the courses were for them. And I, I took them for their word when they weren't necessarily doing that well, but they felt like they were doing very well and very happy to share how well they thought they were doing. And so I just felt like I wasn't going to be able to catch up or keep up. And I had some of my classmates uh, who had done software engineering internships in high school. I just felt like I was so far behind that that um, hurdle was insurmountable. But you did end up uh, getting a degree in computer science, So I ended right? up getting my master's in computer science. Okay. So I ended up not doing the undergrad. Uh, I did it. I did my undergrad in electrical engineering, which uh, at some point became just like, a, I'm already like halfway through this, even though I don't like it very much, I need to finish it <laughs> type of deal. Uh, and then I did my master's in computer science, uh, almost on a dare. I was planning to get a master's anyways, and I was going to do it in uh, more of a business-y field, and one of my friends dared me to do it in something technical. No way. Wow. And so I ended up doing it in computer science. Good when move. you were approaching getting that advanced degree in computer science, despite your experience earlier in school, had your confidence level changed? I mean, what had changed for you? What, what like, wisdom would the slightly older, wiser Tracy Chow impart to the you know, sophomore at Stanford who had decided not to do CS? There were a few experiences I had that just helped me to calibrate a little bit better and understand where I might stand and how I might be able to like, do in the field. So one actually very instructive experience was uh, this one course I had taken at Stanford, uh, which was the, the one after which I decided to not major in computer science. A quarter after that, the professor asked me to TA for him the next time that class was offered. And I had gone back to him and said, I, I don't think you're thinking of me. You must be confusing me with some other girl who has maybe a similar last name because I'm Asian and my name is very like standard sounding. Uh, so we went back and forth a few times and he insisted that I at least try to be a TA for him. Uh, and he said, you know, if you don't do a good job, it's on me. I'm the professor. And like, if the course is not taught well, it's mine. My fault, it's not yours. So you should give it a shot. And when I TA'd for him and I was grading uh, assignments for these students, and also uh, hosting office hours as a TA, I realized that people who thought they were doing really well and would you know, brag about how easy it was weren't necessarily doing that well either. Like I had now the view from the other side. And if I had to objectively rate myself amongst like, the students that I was grading, I would have rated myself like, maybe in the top 10th percentile or something like that. Um, so having that perspective really helped me to calibrate where I was. So even though I felt like I was so far behind, I wasn't actually that far behind. Yeah. 
Okay, so I'm going to ask you to put on your, your forward thinking, you know, you're going to predict the future here. 20 years down the road, do you anticipate that we will still be having this conversation about women in tech or do you feel like the situation will be better? Or kind of where, where do you see this? I realize 20 years in tech is a long time, but where do you see this going? I really hope that the work we're doing now will make it so that 20 years from now we won't be having this conversation. We're trying to create the future, I would say. Simple. Well, I hope that's the case. Okay, we are going to play a fun game momentarily called Too Embarrassed to Answer. But before we start that, I can't let you get away without at least talking quickly about your favorite consumer tech gadgets and services aside from Pinterest. What, when you wake up, like, what's your day like? What do you reach for? What kind of phone are you using? What, what are the apps that you have to use? All that fun stuff. I have an iPhone 6S in rose gold. I felt like I had to get the rose gold when it came out. I think Kurt has a rose gold one too. Do you, Kurt? I do not, but oh, okay. it's on my wish list. <laughs> it's not really rose gold. It's really just rose or pink. It's very pretty. That's okay. Yeah. Um, the first things I check, Twitter for sure, and then email. Twitter first. Mm-hmm. Okay. And are you using a Twitter, just Twitter's app? Or are you I'm using, using the Twitter app, yeah. Okay. Do you try third-party clients on your... I have tried in the past, but I just like the standard Twitter app. I'm with you. I just use the standard one. Okay, let's move on to too embarrassed to answer. This is the part of the show where we read you quotes about the hottest tech news, and we see if in your busy schedule you've had time to read a little bit of The Verge and Recode uh, throughout the day. So the first question... This one actually has a two-part answer, and it pertains to a story in Recode about how Google Android would be affected if Google were in the same position as Apple this week with the FBI. So, this is something that Mark Bergen wrote. If you fill in the blanks here, quote, just 1.3% of Android devices run on the latest blank software. For the 34% of phones running blank software, turning on full device encryption is optional. Okay, so these are two different types of Android software. Is it A... Honey Pot and Banana Cream Pie, B, Lollipop and Jelly Bean, or C, Marshmallow and Lollipop? Oh my goodness. This is a tough question to start with. Is it? Well, I don't know the answer, but I don't write. I mean, Google, maybe you so. should blame Google for naming their. I should blame Mark Bergen. I sit right next to him. He never tells me anything. <laughs> After I'm going to randomly candy. guess B. I don't even B. know what that was. So. You are partially correct in that Lollipop and Jelly Jelly Bean are actual operating systems for Android. But the right combination is C, Marshmallow and Lollipop. So the idea is that Marshmallow actually forces, it's it's the most recent one, enforces encryption on Android phones. Whereas with Lollipop, the previous operating system was optional. Okay, I think this is going to get a little bit easier to do in the next one. Yeah, holy smokes. I'll try and ask (laughs) one that maybe um, uh, we can all answer. Okay, so uh, according to an article on The Verge this week, the company behind a popular gadget will now pay to repair it in the event of, quote, dropping, squeezing, or crashing caused by operator error or other accidents. Tracy, what can you now drop, squeeze, or crash without worrying about your wallet? Is it A, a drone made by DJI, uh, B, a hoverboard made by Swagway, or C, a virtual reality headset made by Samsung? I'm going to guess the drone by DJI. You got that is yes. correct. correct. That's Much, a good one. That was a ba- way better question. That was a great yeah. question. Or the squeezing. And what, well answered. How many people squeeze their drones? Like how many people are just like, <laughs> I love like, my drone so much, I'm squeezing it. Is Swagway it, real, by the way? Swagway is real. That is great. Yeah, I, I'm not familiar with Swagway. Name. I was they reading this. I wondered if maybe you should check it out and, and give it a hug. I know, give it a hug, maybe <laughs> drop it on the ground. Yeah. All right, and here's your last question, but not least. Recode's Kurt Wagner, sitting right here, reported this week that someone famous in the tech world is quote, enjoying a soothing social media vacation, in his own words. Tracy, who is taking a cyber vacation right now? 
Is it A, new dad, Mark Zuckerberg, B, Mark Andreessen, or C, Mark Wahlberg? Mark Andreessen. Mm, I noticed she read yeah. Kurt Wagner's stories. <laughs> she did read your story. Either that or she just she follows Mark Andreessen on Twitter yes. and she knows P. Marka. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. Well, well which done. Which means you haven't been blocked by him, which is like I a badge blocked of honor. in the past. Oh, me too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. And then you unblocked me. Yeah, same here. Wow. It's, that, we should do a whole other it's podcast on this. Yeah. That's actually, Mark, you're welcome to come on and talk about your blocking yeah, habits. Uh, well, congratulations, Tracy, on winning Too Embarrassed to Answer. Um, yeah, she won two out of three. Yeah. That, and that first one really was, that was a doozy. I just, I threw that one in there. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, we've been saying for a long time that we don't really have a prize for the winners of this show. Uh, but this week, Kara is out of town and she left her car keys behind. So if you oh. feel like going for a joyride, oh. we won't tell if you won't tell. That's great. What kind of car is it? You tell me. <laughs> she never remember. lets me drive it. Yeah, so I don't know. Makes me take the Muni. Um, well, there you go. If you'd like to borrow Kara's car to get back to your job, awesome. you can take it. Don't tell Kara. Yeah. Um, Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks yeah. so much Excellent. for having thank me. Thank you. We want to thank our guest, Tracy Chow, for stopping by. Yes, thank you, Tracy. And if you enjoyed the episode as much as we did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to new episodes every Friday or catch up on previous episodes where we answer all the tech questions that our listeners have been too embarrassed to ask. That's all on Rico.net slash podcasts. And while you're there, you should check out our other podcasts like Recode Decode, Recode Replay, and of course, our newest show, Recode Media with Peter Kafka. This has been another episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Don't forget to tweet your questions ahead of time to at Recode with the hashtag AskRecode. You can also tweet them to me at, at Lauren Good. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Friday with another episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Tune in then.